Uh, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110, hour number three underway. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Hit me up on the Twitter machine as well, at Pete Callender, and that's Callender with a K. I've got Tyler and I've got Scott. I will get them on the air right now. We'll start with Tyler. Hello, Tyler. What's going on? Hey, Pete. How's it going? Hey. All right. Uh, did you see your lead-in with Dan was pretty cool. Um, did you see that he retweeted Mark Robinson's comment about the tyrannical government? And I was curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, yes, he actually, uh, not only did he retweet Robinson's, um, uh, his comments, but he also, the statement that he made, but he also, I'm trying to look for it right now, he went through and pulled quotes. I don't even know where he stopped. He was going, he had like a dozen of them from the founding fathers specifically talking about the Second Amendment being used to guard the citizens from a government that goes tyrannical. That is yeah, the purpose yeah. of it. So, but the only thing I have an issue, it, you're not wrong. It, it, Dan, Dan's a smart guy. He's not wrong about the historical context of it. But in the context of modern government, I think it's so unpatriotic and unproductive. What is? Uh, talking about a tyrannical government, because there's two two components to it. One is the idea that, like, we don't have just random state militias full of regular citizens. We have a well-trained, one of the best fighting forces in America. So mm-hmm. for our government to go tyrannical, you would have to have hundreds of thousands of our servicemen betray their oath to the Constitution, which I think that's, not, not, that's for the heart of me. Is like Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You don't need all of them. Not all of them, but you'd need, you'd need more than uh, a, a platoon. Like for, for it to be a serious impact, that is, you'd need a serious number of, of our servicemen and women to mm-hmm. betray their oath to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. That could so happen. That's that's my first, that's my main problem with it. But the second one is like we also live in a. No, but wait a minute. But wait, you just say that as and you just say that and, and make that as a as a guess. But that could happen. What did the last two years? Did that show you anything about the the willingness of a lot of people to go along with quote orders? I saw a lot of people stand the ground though and hold their opportunity. Like I saw a I lot of people uphold theirs even against. Not what I asked. I asked. I asked. Did the last two years? inform you of, of of the amount of people that are willing to stand or are not willing to stand up that are willing to just go along how does that then sw- it, it should have right there are a lot of people that i thought like a lot of cops i'm looking around at other countries too i'm seeing a lot of cops that are behaving in ways that kind of smack of tyranny right they're following the orders so the idea that you know every single uh member of the military would object to uh, people losing their rights, I disagree with. I, I, I think there were probably there's a good number of them that would go along. There would be in any population. I mean, I think when we look at the large, it's kind of the thing though. Yes, there are a few bad cops, but when you look at the by and large, the police force is upholding their oath. Our military is upholding their oath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to worry about, but to have essentially a coup, I think it's a little far fetched. And I'd say my second point on why I think it's unproductive is. We now he he wrote into the video about like I have my AR-15s in case the government gets too big for its britches. Mm-hmm. We we don't live in an area where AR-15s now could even be effectual if something that bad happened. Like we live we don't live in an area of like muskets and bayonets anymore. We've got switchblade drones. I'm sorry. What are you are you talking to me on a on a device that was invented back in like 1776? No. I'm oh, saying, I see. So I'm technology allows for other a defense against our actual, if our trained military wanted to, and mm-hmm. I don't think they do, mm-hmm. but if they wanted to mount up, let's say we had a rogue, a yeah. rogue branch of our military 
there is no citizenry that could actually effectively defend against it. Except the Taliban. So it's, not, it's, it's a scare tactic. Right, except the Taliban, maybe, right? Maybe we could get the Taliban to guard us. No, I'm saying our, our, our U.S. military against our citizens is a scare tactic. Why you say that? You first, right, hang, on, hang on, Tyler, let me stop you right now. Because what you're doing is arguing both sides of the argument here. In order, and so, and because I think you recognize there is a weakness here to your argument, right? On the, on the one hand, you say the military wouldn't do that. I disagree. People do various dumb things throughout history. People get lied to. Uh, they get whipped into frenzies, whatever. But I don't know. The whole point is this is a stopgap. This is the citizen's ability to stop a government from going tyrannical, whether that's a federal government, a state government, a local government, whatever. That's the purpose of it. That's why it was put in there. If you don't like that, by the way, just go and repeal the Second Amendment. So no, you, uh, no, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Tyler, hang on. Okay. Hang on. Because your that's your first premise was that that you don't think the 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 military would do that. But then on the other hand, you say, right. but if they have to, if they did it, if for some reason it happened, which yep. you said was not possible, but now you say if it is possible that they would kill everybody, so why not just ban all the weapons anyways? Because they would win in the war. And I I'm not submit to you, ban it. I'm just saying you, the they would annihilate everybody, right? That they would that if they did, if they had to turn their weapons on the American citizens, that they would just obliterate. All of the people that were uh, that were fighting and to wit, I would know. Now, hang on. I would okay. submit to you. Okay. I would submit to you that what we saw in a 20 year war in Afghanistan might make you a little bit more humble about that assessment. What? That the citizens of Afghanistan pushed back against them? Is that the thing? That the world's mightiest military force had a very difficult time pacifying a population that was armed i think it's unfair to our military because there's a lot of strategy that goes into it just because afghanistan was a failure it's been a failure for many big governments it doesn't matter if any other government is a failure it matters when you are using our military in this analogy it matters for this analogy you're saying that the, the armed citizenry of america what that we wouldn't be able to to repel an american military force yeah. on our own turf but we wouldn't be able yeah. to do that I don't I don't think it I don't think it's realistic nor I don't think we should we should be trying to stoke those fears. I think our You should be afraid of your government. You should be afraid of your government. See, here's a fundamental difference. There this is a great clarifying moment, Tyler. You and I have a fundamental disagreement about what government is. Government in my view is force. It's it's got a monopoly on force. It gets to use it. It gets indemnity when it does. It get it, 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 people who are acting on behalf of the government get to kill you. They get to kill you, and people don't suffer ramifications for it. Fi- right. Government is like fire, right? It is a useful servant, a fearful master. The natural tendency of the government is to grow at the expense of the liberty of its citizens. That is natural. Human history is replete with example after example of that happening. That's my view of government. I think you have okay. a, probably a different view, though, right? What You think of it as, like, it's there to help everybody, and we can do all these great things with government, and if everybody kind of just uh, uh, chips in and pulls their weight, we can I do mean, great yeah, things. I still do believe in American exceptionalism. I believe that, yes, we should, have a, we should have checks and balances in our government. We should keep it small. But I think that fundamentally the men and women who opt into our armed service are patriots, and they don't do so to attack their own country. So I think using it as this straw man argument to stoke fear rather than talk about more substantive issues is the problem. That's so why do you keep saying why do you keep saying the US military why would why couldn't it be police? Why couldn't it be uh, ICE agents? Why couldn't why is it always you keep well, going I mean, back I, to the I military? Any, 
I mean, again, our cops, I fundamentally believe that our cops go and serve their communities for good reasons. Sure. But there, so are, there are bad ones. There are bad ones. Right. And it's, what's sad is, like, there are people who have, who have been exercising their fundamental Second Amendment rights and got killed by the government for it, like Philando Castillo. True. Absolutely. I was but a huge, absolutely, and I was I raging mad at that. Cases and not treated as a, a boogeyman is my, my yeah. point on it. All right, so here's the deal. I got a question for you from Joe. He says, uh, it, this guy says that we would have no chance against the government. Then why do you, uh, why, why do they care about the weapons? If it's not a threat, why, why would you care? Well, because think about I, what I care about would be that the responsible gun, like I believe in responsible gun ownership. So mm-hmm. I care about the fact that people can use get firearms for their jobs, for hunting, for all these things. What about self-defense? Magazine, like uh, how me, about self-defense? We started to get uh, sticky territory. Right. How about self-defense? How about self-defense? Can I use? Yeah, I'm right. down for it. I don't have one in my house, but I, I uh, my family has always kind of been down that way. So all right. So I, am I allowed I to conceal it. carry in your world? Uh, not a ton of it, but I understand it. Why? So, what do you mean, not a ton of it? What does that mean? So like, I have family members who conceal carry, but I personally don't. No, no, no. I'm and saying in your in your vision, it. in your vision of like, because you obviously are okay with banning certain guns, right? Uh, I'm more again trying to address the narrow problem of school shooting. Like you said, it's kind of getting ballooned out into all these other topics. So, if like we've got a lot of stuff going on, but I'm trying to focus on like one issue that we could chip away at, and I think like saying. High, high, thirty-round magazines. Like, what? What's that for? For ki- for killing a lot of people that are trying to, like, I don't know, burn down your your business. How about that? I mean, that's but that's getting into uh, self defense. If you need thirty rounds, then we're getting into some scary territory. Correct. You are correct, sir. You are absolutely correct. And if, again, if the last two years have not proven to you, you are on your own. You are the first responder. Fundamental difference on the role of government and its abilities here. I appreciate the call, Tyler. Thank you for making it, and I appreciate the discussion. I enjoy it. Um, But we have a fundamental disagreement, because I saw what happened in the cities all across America when people's businesses were attacked and people were attacked. Government wasn't coming to save them. Government abandoned them abandoned entire sections of cities. So yeah, if I had a business and I was trying to protect my business and I've got 30 people coming in that are going to do me harm, steal all of the fruits of my labor, torch my building, maybe kill me, yeah, I think I might want as many rounds as possible. All right, let me get to a couple of real quick uh, responses to Tyler's call here. William says, if it's not possible for us to fight against the military, tell the people and the president... Of Ukraine, that. Well, that's different because it's the Russians. Um, Joe says, caller Tyler is channeling his inner Eric Fartwell, Swalwell, I mean, uh, thinking he can drone strike every Bubba with an AR-15. And yes, the last two years taught us cops, we'll let your city burn, but throw you in jail for not wearing a mask. So pound sand, Tyler. Um, It gets to a, oh, hang on. There was one other thing here I got from Tim. Speaking as someone who served 25 years, his idea that the military would do what he says is idiotic. The military is made up of the same kind of people as the general population and has the same kind of variety of beliefs and opinions. If things got so bad that the nation was so fractured to reach that level that the military would be similarly fractured then and an ineffective fighting force that for the most part sat things out. People like this guy always assume the military is a monolithic block of unthinking drones who will do whatever they are told because they likely don't know anybody who did 
or is serving uh, more than in passing. So, I mean, yes, I understand. Like, there's, well, let me just say this. It gets to the fundamental belief on what government is. Tyler cannot imagine a scenario where government goes tyrannical. I can. And I think we all live in societies that are very close to that edge. I really do. The, the, the line between order and chaos is very, very thin. All right, let me jump over here to Scott. He's been waiting patiently. Actually, I don't know if it's patiently or not, but he has been waiting. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I, got, I have a few points to make, but I'll try to make this quick. I was out of the country last week. I was actually in Ireland uh, during the time of the Texas shooting. Mm. And when I heard about it, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, in the, in the wake of the previous shootings, I, I was just horrified. But the thing that I was more horrified about was how quick U.S. media was. It was interesting to listen to it in Ireland. How quick U.S. media was to go to the gun control issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gun control. That's why we're having these. But then I remembered almost immediately, the week prior to my travel, you'd been talking about this tendency for interpersonal victimhood, CIV. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about what's the cause of these horrendous acts of violence. Is it the lack of gun control or is it this TIV that really has been recently discovered? It's really sort of like, a recent fine is like what, 2020? Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's within the last few years. Yeah, within the last three years or so. All right, so the common denominator with these shooters that c- commit these acts of horrendous violence, cowardly violence, is number one, they feel perfectly justified in what they're doing. And number two, they have no empathy for their victims. Mm-hmm. Does that not sound like the TIV? Yeah. One of the other things is rumination on past victimization. So they all ruminate, they all draw plans, they have, you know, hit lists and all that. They share sort of uh, tableaus, they have these ideas that pay tribute right. to other shooters. They con- they conceive of themselves as part of this group of psychopaths, basically. Um, also, they need this recognition for their victimhood, and, and, and whether that right. comes via fame uh, or... Uh, well, or infamy, right? Doesn't matter. They're still going to get recognition for what they have done, and that is part of TIV as well. They they need recognition for their victim status. Yeah. So, so the another point I wanted to make was this. Okay, this TIV thing. I'm glad you're talking about it. You seem to be one of the few people that is. And when I started researching it after your shows talking about it, I read that the professionals that are talking about this are really, in general, trying to avoid the topic because they know that it is a flashpoint. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, okay, they're avoiding talking about it, but Pete, you're talking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm telling other people about it. And the thing about it is, is that what's causing that? Well, it's a learned behavior. It's something that you acquire through social constructs, maybe mm-hmm. through family members, or dare I say, political leaders. Mm-hmm. Media. Picking this up. Ethnic groups against ethnic groups, classes against classes, nationalities against nationalities. It stirs up people, and this has been a drumbeat for years, decades in some cases. And now you've got people that are perpetrating these acts of violence based upon this constant drumbeat of victimization. Right. You know what? And this is another point I wanted to make. Is this not what Adolf Hitler did? 
I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't. I, I, I was not there. Uh, it's before my time, and I am not at the age in all men's lives when they take uh, you know real interest in World War II. I haven't hit that age yet. So, uh, no, I don't know. But yes, yeah, so pitting. You are absolutely right, Scott. And I appreciate the call. Have a great weekend. Um, you are absolutely right that pitting people against each other is the way that leaders divide and then give enemy. You know, give the uh, their uh, constituents a target to focus their ire on. And then it, it absolves them, and then they can rush in and say, here's the solution. We just need to get rid of all those people, right? Yes, he did it with the Jews. Uh, Scott, thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. A couple things, um, and thank you again to Scott. Just ran out of time there. Um, mentioned the role of the media. Hotair.com, John Sexton. Uh, he's got... Uh, oh, hang on a second. Did I... Oh, sorry. Politico is the original piece, which I have right here. Um, 2021 book, The Violence Project, How to Stop a Mass Shooting Epidemic, reveals striking commonalities among the perpetrators of mass shootings and suggest a data-backed, mental health-based approach could identify and address the next mass shooter before he pulls the trigger. Jillian Peterson and James Densley are the researchers. They uh, they identify on some level that mass shootings are socially contagious. So when one happens, another one also happens. Gets a lot of media attention, and then you tend to see others follow. In fact, one of the data points here is that after uh, when you have five, you're guaranteed a sixth. That's what the, the, the statistics show. Um, and so the Politico says, are you saying that there's a link between Buffalo and Uvalde shootings? And they say, we don't know for sure at this point, but our research would say it's likely you had an 18 year old commit a horrific mass shooting. His name is everywhere. We spend all these days talking about replacement theory. That shooter was able to get our attention. So if you have another 18 year old who's on the edge and watching everything, that could be enough to embolden him to follow. We have seen this happen before. Mass shooters study other mass shooters. They often find a way of relating to them. Um, there's this uh, consistent pathway. Early childhood trauma seems to be the foundation, whether violence in the home, sex assault, parental suicides, extreme bullying. And then you see the build towards hopelessness, despair, isolation, self-loathing, oftentimes rejection from peers. Victimization, right? It turns into a really identifiable crisis point. And what's the difference between uh, traditional suicide? Oh, sometimes they have attempted suicide and they, and they say, we have to start looking at these as murder suicides. That's what they are. Um, there is also a quest for fame and notoriety. If you realize these things are murder suicides, it flips the idea that somebody with a gun on the scene is going to deter this. I disagree, by the way. If anything, that's an incentive for these individuals that they're going to be killed. But that's not always the case, by the way. They don't like you using the term monsters or evil or anything because that kind of language makes things worse. Because they say, um, we feel better because it makes it seem like we found the motive and solved the problem or solved the puzzle. But we haven't solved anything. We've just explained the problem away, they say. All right, let me jump over here and get Spencer on. Hello, Spencer. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hey, um, I just want to make a statement about the term well-regulated. 
In the year 1800, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, properly operating, I mean, uh, well-regulated means properly operating, as in a well-regulated clock keeps accurate time. Okay. You could change the uh, Second Amendment to say, a properly operating militia being necessary to the security of free state the right of people keeping bear arms shall not be infringed. Now that gives you a different idea about what the founders were looking at. Uh, uh, well, what do you think militia meant back then? Militia was the people. people. Mm-hmm. Militia the was people. every was every was uh, was the every militia was everybody mm-hmm. that could stand up and hold a gun. Right. That to me is the operative word because the. The, the well-regulated part, I understand, like, lefties try to use that to force regulations. It, it I, I understand what you mean. government regulation. I agree. It does not mean that. I agree. As a matter of fact, okay. the right to arms is not dependent on the militia. The militia is dependent on the people's right to arms. Without the people bringing their own arms, militias formed would not be properly operational. Correct. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate the call. Yeah, we were getting to the same place. Along those lines... Benjamin Franklin, quote, democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Uh, Noah Webster, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed as they are in almost every country in Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops. Noah Webster. Um... Let's see here. I'm just go right down the list. George Mason, to disarm the people, that is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. Alexander Hamilton, if the representatives of the people betray their constituents, there is then no resource left but in the exertion of that original right of self-defense, which is paramount to all positive forms of government. Joseph Story, quote, the right of the citizens to keep and bear arms has justly been considered as the palladium of the liberties of a republic since it offers a strong moral check against the usurpation and arbitrary powers of, or power of rulers. Patrick Henry, the people must guard with jealous attention the public liberty. You notice, they're not saying militia. They're not saying army, right, to Spencer's point. The militia is the people. And all the founders understood that. They were talking about this. They were talking about the right of the people to be able to resist tyranny. And by the way, this is precisely what the Brits did to the colonists. They took their guns first. They did, they did a turn-in program in Boston, and because Boston is populated with idiots, they turned them in. I kid, Boston. I kid. I kid. Relax. It's just a joke. James Madison said, one of the advantages that Americans possess over the people of almost every other nation is the advantage of being armed. See, so when I was talking with Tyler earlier, and, and Tyler, first he you know lays out the premise that the military would never do this, would never turn on the people. I, I disagree. There are bad people in the military, too. And there are people, there are units that would probably not question their orders. There are, so, there are a great many that would, and they would walk away. And then they would become part of that armed insurrection, by the way. Like, that's always left out of the equation. It's just this idea that the military would say, no. And then they would just, what, all get sent to the brig or something? Or, no, they would, they would leave and join up with the civilians, or there would be battles between military units. This is the thing. Trying to comprehend this kind of catastrophe, it's 
It's depressing. But it's also impossible. You don't know that. You don't know who would act in what way. You don't. And you don't know if it, you know, people get too scared by whatever's going on. They, and they acquiesce. They surrender. Nobody knows. Right? The first casualty in war is truth. Right? War never changes. So Tyler lays out the premise that the military would never do it. But if they did, they would kill us all. And so, therefore, we should not, you know, we shouldn't even be talking. He doesn't even want us talking about this stuff. He said it wasn't productive for Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson and Dan Bishop, Congressman Bishop, to retweet what Robinson said and to promote what Robinson said. And what Robinson said is, in fact, what the founders said. It is, in fact, the root of the Second Amendment, why it's there. This is what I mean. Like, if you don't like the Second Amendment, then run an amendment to repeal it. That's what an honest person would do. Well, we can't do that, Pete. We don't have the votes. Okay, then. If you don't have the votes, you can't get the support, then you don't get your way. That's See, that's how it's supposed to work. What am I missing here? So John Sexton writing at hotair.com, he's going over this research that was published in a political interview to criminologists who uh, study mass shootings, Jillian Peterson and James Densley, and they've created a database of mass shootings since 1966, along with a detailed life history of 180 shooters. The research points to a number of commonalities among them, and right away, They highlighted the role of the media and social contagion in these events, suggesting a connection between the Buffalo shooting and the one in Uvalde. They go on to define mass shootings as acts of of violent suicide. They are inevitably damaged people who turn their rage outward in a final act of self-pity and revenge on those who rejected them. Now, to the researchers, it's counterproductive to describe them as evil because They'd rather people recognize them as very troubled people who need psychological help. Today, The Atlantic published a piece which takes a different approach to mass shootings, looking at them as a kind of primitive storytelling by people desperate to make themselves the center of our attention. This is TIV, folks. Once again, the role of the media comes up repeatedly. Quote, what story does someone tell themselves when they decide to become a mass shooter? Grievance and alienation seem common themes. A classmate described the Charleston, South Carolina Baptist Church shooter as having a darkness to his life. The kid up in Newtown, a classmate said he just didn't really connect. The unmet desire on the part of many of these murderers to be at the center of a narrative as opposed to on its periphery is a unifying thread. Right? They need to be the center. Easy access to firearms, national mental health, mental health crisis. They contribute to the incidents of mass shootings, but we're already debating those issues vigorously. We pay far less attention to the ways in which our culture metabolizes narratives and makes sense of them. Back in 2015, researchers at Arizona State and Northeastern Illinois University conducted a study of conta- contagion of mass killings and shootings. The researchers found a measurable increase in the likelihood of a second mass shooting for 13 days after the first. So when you see one within two weeks, chances are you're going to see a second. Um, They're going to say they also determined 
that an individual school shooting on average incited 0.22 more shootings. That is, for every five school shootings, a sixth would take place that would not otherwise have occurred. But social and traditional media were also found to drive this contagion. In a study that was done uh, by a psychology professor at Western New Mexico University, Jennifer Johnston, uh, she found that identification with prior mass shooters made famous by extensive media coverage is a more powerful push toward violence than mental health status or even access to guns. It's the media. You wonder why nobody in the media wants to cover these things? These stories, I mean, these, these uh, papers, this research? Now, yes, yes. You got the Atlantic here, and you got Politico. And yes, that is some coverage. But while the media focuses on gun control, school hardening, red flag laws, right? You don't see the kind of attention on the role that the media plays. And I've said this for a long time. Like, for, uh, That's why I don't give the name of these shooters. Ne- I have not done it. I try not to ever do it. Sometimes I slip up because I, when I read all the stories, I see the name. I don't want to give them any kind of fame. This agenda, though, this gun control agenda, and that is what we're looking at. It's why it's the response. It's the reaction to any kind of mass shooting whatsoever. And even in the call at the beginning of the hour from Tyler, you know, he bounces he bounces between, you know, mass shootings and school shootings and gun violence. And so whatever whatever the cause for the argument needs to be at that moment that will be adopted. Right. Because the agenda item is gun control. That's the point. Gun control is just one element of a three-part agenda. This according to the editorial board over at the Washington Examiner. This agenda to reshape day-to-day life in America. Facing brutal midterm elections this fall, Democrats believe that the tragic shooting in Evaldi, Texas, is their opportunity to change the subject. The problem, however, they have is that they... Already made it too difficult to discuss the gun control issue in isolation the way they could back, say, in the late 90s. That's because today's Democrats have gone so far to the left, embracing a radical, embracing a radical anti-law enforcement and anti-incarceration agenda that's just become too big of a national story to hide. Add it all together, it's not a winning agenda. Six packs of shiner, 99 cent butane lighter. Lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron Ice down that igloo cooler Take a guess at all to do her I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone the working week is over No chance of staying sober I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking Till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one coming on So obviously that is a wrap for me for this week. I know it's only four days. Felt like a lot longer though. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang followed us down to the lake and 
Didn't have to think about that too long Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight Situation couldn't be more right I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we All right, so thanks, everybody, for uh, the discussion, the emails, the calls. Even Tyler, I appreciated that. Thank you, Bernie, for running the board. Appreciate that. I didn't even get to the uh, the story about the team of scientists that accidentally created overly aggressive mutant hamsters following a gene-editing experiment. Well, they were Syrian hamsters. I don't know if that matters. All right, have a great weekend. Winter Bowl's next. I will see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Party rock until the break of dawn.